years before I've stood in the pulpit at this congregation. So uh, when Rex says that we've all changed just a little bit, I was a skinny young kid right out of college when I came to Bell Shoals back in the early 1980s, and it's certainly good to be back with you. Uh, the passage that was read this morning from, from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 about Noah, I want to talk a little bit about us and our families and, and our relationship to God and, and also how it pertains to what we're doing at the home. Uh, I really have two presentations that, that I tend to give. Uh, when we're together in worship, I think it's important to worship God and honor God with his word. But I want to encourage you all, come to the dinner on May 9th, see Jim Adair, he's got tickets. It is free to get into the dinner. It is not free to leave, but we, we, we do want you to come uh, and be part of that. It's a great event. There's an auction. There's a lot of wonderful things, and, and you get a fuller presentation about the work then. But in the passage it was read, By faith Noah, who being warned of God, was moved with godly fear, he prepared an ark to the saving of his household. And, and there is just so much richness and fullness in that text I want us to stop and think about today, about family, about faith, about our futures, about the, the things that we can do together. But before we do, I want to tell you a little story, and it's relevant to the story of Noah, it's relevant to the work you're doing here uh, at Bell Shoals and, and the new congregation, or the, the new location uh, where you're going to be. In the... 1960s and 1970s, I grew up in a congregation, and, and my parents, we, we were right on the inner city, on the edge of the inner city of Detroit, and my parents were part of what they called white flight that moved out into the suburbs, but they continued to drive into services uh, all during my, uh, my years growing up, and the inner city kind of overtook uh, the congregation where we live. The, the demographics changed in our neighborhood. And the elders had enough foresight and enough wisdom to say, if this congregation is going to succeed, then we need to reach out to the people who live here, the people in our neighborhoods, the people in our community. And those were the days of the busing programs. And so what did they do? They, they sent buses into the community. And we brought 150 or 100, 200, I don't remember. It was a lot of unruly, undisciplined, unchurched kids into the congregation. And it caused a little bit of havoc, and it caused some, some, some challenges at first. But they also hired a, a man who, who his background was more similar to the, the diverse nature of the neighborhood. And even today, 40 years later, he's the minister of that congregation, uh, the Redford Church of Christ. But the amazing thing about, about that congregation, when we were busing, there was a young man that lived in the community. His name was Rich. And I, and I won't tell you his last name because uh, in the Lord's Church, you, you'll, you'll know. Somebody will cross paths with this individual. Uh, but anyway, Rich and his sister were coming to church, and they lived in the most horrific circumstances that you could ever imagine. Uh, his mother was a, was a drug addict. She engaged in prostitution in, in their home in front of the, the eyes of these very children. But Rich started coming to church, and he embraced the church as his family. And so when the bus would go to picking up, he'd be sitting on the doorsteps waiting for the bus to show up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. As he got older in his early teens, he didn't live very far from the buildings. He didn't even wait for the bus. You'd get to the church building, and there was Rich waiting. He grew up, I remember him when he started giving little devotionals to the youth group, and, and as you kind of see him grow and mature, and, and when he was first baptized into Christ. And then in 1977, I left. 
As a matter of fact, I, I left Detroit and have never been really good. I've only been back twice uh, since 1977, the most recent for my 40th uh, high school reunion. But anyway, I, I left, and I lost track of Rich. But I did go back about 20 years later, and I held a meeting in Plymouth, which is a suburb outside of Detroit. And while I was there preaching, this young man comes walking in to sit down, and I only kind of, I didn't recognize who he was, I just recognized him because he was in his army uniform on the Sunday that he showed up. And he came walking in with his wife and his three kids in tow, and after the service, he came up and he introduced himself, and he says, hi, I'm Rich, you remember me? The church became his family. They became his salvation. They became his ark of hope. And, and that's what the church is. And folks, there are, there are two institutions that we have in the world today that are responsible for the salvation of mankind. One is the church, and the other is the home and family. And we need to recognize the significant role that each plays in evangelizing the world in which we live. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, prepared an ark. Now, it says he did this by faith. What is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, for Noah to do what God commanded him to do, he had to act by faith, which means he had to do what he was instructed to do. There was a time when I was growing up, I was a young preacher, and you'd hear some of the, the older gospel preachers, and, and they'd preach the book of Noah, and they'd talk about the, the dimensions of the ark and the wood that was built out of it, and the one door and the one window, and, and they were referred to as gopher wood preachers. And what they meant by that was that if God said build the ark out of gopher wood, he meant gopher wood. He didn't mean pine, and he didn't mean teak, and he didn't mean something else. God gave Noah specific instructions. Noah being warned of God, what? He acted by faith. What was that faith? He did what God told him to do. And not for a day, and not for a week, and not for a year. For 120 years. Think about that. The, the dimensions, while not quite as big, but the, the overall dimensions of, of the ark are similar to the, the breakdown of, of an aircraft carrier as far as the stability in which it's built. God knew what he was doing even way back then. But he had to cut the trees. He had to hewn the wood. He had to fix the lumber. He had to mortise the joints. He had to seal it with pitch. He had to prepare all the food, gather all the, all the work that he had to do. He did by faith. And so his salvation, the salvation of his children, the salvation of his wife, the salvation of his family, all was dependent on two things. One, he heard the word of God and he obeyed. But when we talk about living by faith, about obedient faith, faith isn't just a warm, fuzzy feeling you get in your heart. Faith isn't just that, well, you know, I, I know that God's there for me and God's walking with me. I want to challenge you to do something today, especially since you're not having Bible class, so you have the extra time, you can go home and do this. I want you to read Hebrews chapter 11. And if you're the type of person that you, you write in your Bibles, then I want you to take your pen or your highlighter or whatever, and every time you find an active verb in Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to mark it. Or if, if you use a notepad like my mother used to do, she had a little journal next to her Bible every morning, and she, she, she wrote down her notes from her Bible study. I want you to write down, by faith Noah prepared, by faith Abraham offered, by faith Abel. On and on it goes. 
Everybody who acted by faith did something. Faith was active and working in their lives. Faith is an important part of what we're trying to do at Mount Dora in the children's home and the single parent program. When these folks come in, when these children come in, and you know, we've started this single mother program at Mount Dora, and the reason we did is that society has changed. And a lot of the children who were coming in were coming from single parent homes. And so we were working with them, we were studying with them, some of them would get baptized, they'd start going to church, they'd be more involved, and then go back into that old environment. And you know what happens to somebody who's not mature when they go back into an old environment? They fall back into old patterns. So we just thought, why are we sticking Band-Aids on open arteries? We need to, to get to the source of the problem. So we started bringing the whole family in. And I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot harder to change behavior of somebody who's lived a lot more life, who's grown up in generational dependency, who's grown up in generational poverty, who's grown up in, in generational addictions and all these other things. And then you get them and you place them in the center of a Christian community and you said, all that has to change. And sometimes it changes with members of the home and members of their local church, kind of dragging them with heel marks across the floor until it starts to sink in. But there's a really positive thing that happens, and part of that is because we put them in an environment of faith. Most of my life has been spent doing preaching and mission work and things like that. But when I came to the home, one of the things they stressed to me was that Everybody on campus is an example to every kid and every parent and every person that walks on the campus. So if you think your job is just to go out and preach and teach or to go visit with a donor or do whatever, it's not. Every time you interact with one of these children or these moms or something else, we want them to see Christ living in you. And so we try to put them in an environment that's Christ-centered in all they do. They don't have a family to support them. They don't have the home to support them. Most of us know we live in a society today where, where broken homes is the norm. And, and, and where the family is broken, we have an increase in juvenile incarceration, an increase in teenage pregnancy, an increase in suicide, an increase in drug addiction, a reduction in scholastic performance. And the list goes on and on and on and on. There's a wonderful book called The Boy Crisis that talks about what happens when there's not fathers in the home. And so we try to replicate a lot of that to the best that we can in that environment. But you see, Noah understood that it started with faith. It started with the faith where every morning his children saw him get up and go to work for God. You know, we talk about him building the ark, but we forget sometimes that, that Peter tells us also that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So not only was he working and building, he was preaching and evangelizing and trying to save the world. And that's the obligation we have. We need to put ourselves to work. But what's the focal point of all this? By faith, Noah, being warned of God, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark, what? For the saving of his household. His home mattered to him. His children mattered to him. You know, it must have been tough preaching in Noah's day. Day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, and you're mocked and you're laughed at and you're scorned, and there's no converts. Nobody's walking down the aisle. No, nobody's accepting the truth. Matter of fact, 
the, the circumstances that Noah had to raise his family in were pretty dire. I think most of us would agree that we have a real uphill battle today in trying to raise our families in this society. With cell phones and iPads and social media and all the influences that are just bombarding our kids from a thousand different directions, we think, how in the world can we combat all of this? Well, go back to Genesis 6 for just a minute and look what Noah was up against. The Bible tells us that the thoughts and imaginations of man's heart were evil continually during Noah's day. He lived in a wicked, wicked world. The world was so bad in Noah's day that God looked upon man and it says that he repented that he ever created him. Can you imagine God looking out at the world and says, what have I done? That's the kind of world. But Noah was successful. Noah saved his family, saved his children, saved his household, and saved the progeny of mankind. And he did all of this because he acted by faith. So I really want to kind of speak to, to the, the parents that are here today, those of you that still have children at home, and don't. All my kids are grown, but we're still working at them all the time. Never give up. I want to tell you a story real quick that my mother passed away back in 2003 or 2004, sometime around there. And when she was in the last stages of cancer, we were gathered around her bed, and my mother looked up at us, and she said two things. First of all, she says, I want you boys in church. And, and I mean, we, we were ranging from our, our 40s to our 60s, and my mom says, I want you boys in church. And then the second thing she said, she says, if I thought that you were going to fight over one penny I was leaving behind, I'd give it all to God. And, and that's how we were raised. It was always kept in front of us. No matter how old we were, no matter how far we drifted or strayed or what we did, my mother always reminded us that God came first. And we have that obligation in a, in a very wicked world who's turned their hearts away from God we have an obligation to our family and what they see. I want to share one other story with you. We did a new church plant in, in south of Nashville. And, and while we were there, we had been reaching out into the community. And, and I'll try to make this, it's a long story, I'll try to condense it a little bit for you. But th this woman had come to visit us one Sunday. And, and I went out that afternoon and I visited with them. And uh, they were... The husband was restored to the church. The wife then was baptized into Christ. And she went back to the school uh, with another teacher that she worked with. And she says, I visited that little church you told me about. And she said, it was wonderful. And she says, we're back involved. And, and my husband's going to be leading singing again. She was all excited. And she goes, I didn't see you Sunday. And they had been visiting two different churches. But, but this couple, they, they told the other teacher, they said, it's a little church of Christ that's just started in, in the community. And she says, my husband grew up in the church of Christ and he won't go. She says, maybe if I go visit there, he'll go to church with me. And sure enough, she started coming. And then her in-laws, who are members of another congregation, they started coming to try to encourage the... the, the finally, the son started coming. And the son was restored to the church, and the daughter-in-law was baptized. And I want to tell you something. The father stood up there after the baptism, tears strolling down his face, and he says, I want to tell you all something. He says, when my children were growing up, he says, we spent our weekends at the lake. We spent our weekends going on trips. We didn't spend our weekends in church. 
And he says, my heart has been broken over my son year after year, day after day. And he says, I've had to look in the mirror and ask God over and over to forgive me for not setting the example for my children. You see, he didn't get up and go to work for God every day. But God blessed him. There was grace. And the whole family came back to this wonderful relationship with God. Parents, if you do nothing else every day when you get up, set an example, a godly example for your children. Live a life like Noah so that even though the world around them may be bombarding them and attacking them and mocking Christianity, they can see Christ living in you by the decisions you make and the walk that you take each and every day. The children and the moms who come to Mount Dora, they don't have a family. Or if they have a family, like I said, it's generational poverty, it's generational dependence, it's generational addiction, and we're trying to break that cycle. As best we can, we're trying to recreate the family and fulfill James 1.27 to care for the fatherless and widows and their affliction and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. But it makes a difference, too. We've got a, a gentleman, he's in Winter Haven right now, his name's Jack McDonald. Jack came to the home in the 1950s, grew up in the home. He's continued to be active in the home. Jack's daughter, Julie McDonald Stoltz, grew up with Dad telling her about the values at Mount Dora. Matter of fact, she went to the bus she says, I got so tired of Dad telling us about the values at Mount Dora. But now, Julie's a faithful Christian. She's married to an elder in church over in Winter Haven, and their son, Tripp, is a baptized believer into Christ. Three generations. That's breaking the cycle of poverty, brokenness, and dependence when we do what we can to reach those who are less fortunate. But the most beautiful part of this story, the the best part of the story in in, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, by faith, Noah being warned of God, prepared an ark to the saving of his household. A future. Noah provided a future for his family, a future for mankind, a future for this world. Why? Because he was obedient to God. He put God first. He put his, made his family important. And because of that, they had a future. They had a hope. They had a promise. They had a legacy. You know, I look at the story of Noah, and in many ways, to me, it's kind of typical of, of what happened as we gathered around this table today. That when we gather around the Lord's Supper, there's a lot of things that are all going on at one time. But one of them, there's a looking back. We look back and we see the nature of man and the need for salvation. And Jesus told his disciples, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget the significance of what all this is. And then there's a looking inward. Stopping and examining and looking at our own lives and our own selves. The Bible tells us that each of us is to examine ourselves, whether we eat or drink unworthily. There is a sense when we come together in this moment of communion and fellowship around the Lord's table that we need to pause and we need to reflect on who we are and the commitment we've made and the life that we've chosen to live each day. But the real significance as we gather here and in all that we do is the future. Because it says when we eat and we drink of this, we proclaim the Lord's death till what? Till he comes again. He is coming again. Our Lord is going to return. He is going to come back. 
And so when we gather at this table, we not only look back and remember and look in and observe, but we look forward because Jesus is coming again. We don't get up often enough in the Lord's church and say, Jesus is coming again. Or, Lord, come quickly. We should look forward to, we should embrace the idea of the second coming of Christ. Because it's a time of victory, it's a time of conquest, it's a time of reward. That's kind of where Noah was. All that he labored, all the struggles, all the trials, all that went on, ended in victory. Now, I will say this, one of the, the things that really encourages me when, when I read the the roll call of the faithful or the heroes of faith or whatever you choose to call them in Hebrews 7, is that they were weak, fallible men. They made mistakes. They stumbled along the path of life. It was hard, hard going at times for some of them. We look back at some of them, and if we chose isolated circumstances out of their lives, people like King David and others, we would think, how in the world could God call somebody like that a man after his own heart? It's because he had a penitent heart. It's because David, when he sinned, turned back to God. When he he purchased the threshing floor of Iran, he says, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. We need to have that kind of heart, a penitent heart. Don't get discouraged when you stumble. Don't get discouraged when you fall. I imagine in those 120 years, while it's not recorded in Scripture, that, that there were some days that, that Noah got up and he was just tired and frustrated and he didn't want to go to work. There were probably days God had to remind him, how do I know that or how, why do I believe that? Because after the flood, after the victory, after all that God had done, what's he do? He plants a vineyard, makes wine, and gets drunk. One of our great heroes of faith, he stumbled. His children stumbled. But don't ever let that set us back. Don't ever let it stop us and keep us, make us quit. And I want to say this too. Don't let others discourage you when you fall. One of the things we see at the home every single day are children and moms that just fall flat on their face. Matter of fact, this whole idea of a Christian walk is something that's very, very new to them. And they make all kinds of mistakes, really, really foolish mistakes. We have a young lady, and and I got to listen to her speak a a couple of weeks ago. Her name's Maddie. And Maddie was brought to the home. Her her parents had died. Her grandparents had gotten older, and they'd gotten ill, and then she lost her grandparents. And she came to the home, and Maddie was a rebel. (laughs) Maddie fought us every step of the way, so much so she was so rebellious and such a problem and everything else that Mount Dora finally had to put her into foster care because of the disruption she was causing for the home and for everybody else. Reminds me of a teacher I heard one time that uh, he was being rebuked because he had suspended a couple of children uh, for their unruly behavior. And and one of the local councilmen was really getting after him. He says, listen, he says, I have 600 children in my care every day. I can't let two of them risk the safety of the other 600. Well, that's kind of where Maddie was. Uh, she was having such a negative influence on on the group home and everything else that they had to tell her, we're sorry, you can't stay here. Well, Maddie spent about a year in foster care, and 
You, you know that point in life where the Bible says, and, and they came to themselves, kind of like the prodigal son? Maddie came to herself. And she says, what have I done? So she started calling the social service department. She called Johnny Coley, who, who heads up the, the oversight of a lot of the programs. She called the group home parents, Troy and Rebecca Allen. She started calling her friends in the school. She started having everybody she could think of petition to get her back in the home. And Maddie was given a second chance. And she's doing fantastic. She graduates next year. She's got a productive life. Her grades are outstanding. We're so tremendously proud of her. And I'm going to tell you something. As you go through life, you're going to have people that when you stumble and when you fall and when you kind of step back, they're just, going to, they're just going to want to cut your legs out from under you. They're, they're, they're going to knock you down and criticize. But I want to tell you, get up and keep fighting. Because I'm confident, I, at least here and in a lot of places, there's a lot of pieces, people that, that they're willing to walk with you. They're willing to hold up your hands. They're willing to help you. They're willing to strengthen you. They're willing to be with you. If you'll only get up and repent and walk that path. So this morning, I really want you to stop and think about your faith, your family, and your future. I want to encourage you to come to the dinner, but today I want you to think about your faith, your family, and your future. If you're not walking by faith today, today's the day you need to make that change. Today's the day you, you need to repent of those sins, you need to turn back to God, you need to walk with him and God's ready and willing to forgive you. And you got people that are willing to walk with you and encourage you all along the way. If you're not a child of God and you've never obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that can bring to you salvation, we encourage you this morning. If you believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, what's stopping you from repenting of your sins? There's going to be days that'll be hard. There'll be days that'll be a challenge. There'll be days you'll feel the pull of the world again. But I promise you, the Christian walk is the best walk, that can best decision you can ever make in your life. You need to confess the good and precious name of Christ before men. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And you need to live that confession each and every day, just like Noah did. And you need to be buried with your Lord in baptism. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, put on Christ. You rise up a new creation. Think about that. A new creation alive in Christ Jesus. A fresh start, a new beginning, a fresh walk. If you need to respond to the invitation, if you need to make your life right with God, or you need to be buried with our Lord and Savior in baptism, don't wait. We encourage you. Come today as we stand together and we sing.